Amen. Welcome, welcome this morning to Christ Church. And you guys can grab a seat and uh, get a copy of uh, God's Word out in front of you. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful. Um, just for each and every time um, we gather together, especially on uh, mornings when the, when the clock sprung forward, okay? Well done, nine o'clock crowd, appreciate you. And, um, you know, last Sunday, um, one of the things I love uh, to be a part of in, the, in, in sort of the, the work of our church is um, I, I will oftentimes after um, uh, second service on the weeks when we have step one, which is kind of our first connection point at our church for people that are looking at uh, making Christ Church their home. I, I love to be in that, um, in that step one. And last week, uh, someone was, was talking about, as they talked about how they ended up at our church, they said one of the things they really appreciated was um, just our commitment to the mission. And uh, I loved hearing that um, because th that's exactly what uh, we want at every level in our church. Um, the things that we uh, think about, the ways we process, the ways we think about uh, what the local church is supposed to be, uh, our heart is for alignment and unity and commitment around the mission. And uh, the, the mission here at our church, why we exist, is to uh, glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. Amen? And, and that's what we're striving for, not, not perfectly, okay, not in any way, but uh, to love God, love others, and make disciples. And um, next week, we're going to start a, a two-week series um, in our church where uh, what we want to do is just start to roll out and introduce to our church uh, really what we believe is sort of a forward-looking vision for how we're going to fulfill that mission, a reminder of some things, a, a sort of recalibration or sharpening of our focus in a lot of areas. And, um, and so uh, then there'll be another week in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, then Good Friday and Easter, and then we'll finish up a Sermon on the Mount uh, the two weeks following Easter. Uh, but this morning we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 7 as we're uh, coming closer to the end of this series. Uh, let me just pray before we jump in. Uh, God, I thank you for um, being a church that is not driven by um, the desire of, of a man or, or many men. Um, our heart and desire, the reason why we believe we exist is to uh, fulfill a mission that is... Um, is, has been more enduring than any one of our lives, and uh, it goes all the way back to that moment, um, God, in your uh, glory uh, post-resurrection when you declared the call of the church of Jesus Christ to be a church that is going into the world to make disciples and seeing people baptized and learning to live under your authority and under your word and following you, and so I just pray, God, that we would always return back to that, that it would be the anchor that would keep us moving forward. And uh, today, God, we're going to unpack something that is going to uh, deepen one aspect of that mission. And so I pray that there would be a, a sensitivity to this in our spirits, a readiness to learn and to listen and to be challenged, and in all of those, God, to grow more dependent on your spirit and your power. We thank you for this time this morning. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Um, we've said a lot in our church that there are uh, certain words within Scripture that, that have to be defined with care. And not through the lens of the world, and, but through the lens of Scripture. 
And what we know that the enemy loves to do is to, is to deceive and confuse by oftentimes subtly and overtly manipulating the definition of words to lead people away from God's truth. This doesn't just happen out in the world. It happens in the church all the time. There are realities of words that God has a, a pure vision for them and, and either because of our own flesh or because of our own experience has been marred. And what the word of God does again and again through illustration and, and, and in some words again and again reminding us of what they're supposed to be, God's intention for them. I mean, some of the examples of the words we've covered even in the past few weeks are perfect examples of that. Words like forgiveness and prayer and words like judgment. We must have a correct biblical perspective of these words. We must understand that the tendency of our flesh is to misunderstand these, but God's word brings correction to our lens, our way of seeing. But I would argue that no word in our culture has been desecrated like the word love. Love has been beaten up in our world to the point where it's really, from a biblical perspective, it's almost unrecognizable. It's, it's become nothing more than just like a nice sentiment. But it lacks any real power or significance and for sure not any lasting power. If it even has meaning at all. When someone says, I love you, in my sort of skeptic bent, my... my my tendency is to think in my head, what's your definition of love? But that would be awkward, so I'm not going to ask that when people say I love you. Because here's what I know eventually, the true definition of love and when it's expressed to another person or to God, it will be apparent to, 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 to me and to anyone else whom they claim to love. The definition will, will, will come forth what someone actually believes. And so into this sort of crisis in our culture and in our flesh and in the ways that the, the, the enemy loves to, to mess with words that God um, has given us, we've got to sharpen our, sharpen our understanding of biblical love. And so look in your Bibles, Matthew 7, verse 12. Only one verse this week. Honestly, I was going to preach a longer passage. But when I came to this verse and processed through it on Monday morning and presented it to our team on Tuesday, I, it was clear that I, I really couldn't go past this verse because of the way it was challenging me and I believe us rightly to understand really what it means to love because it's a critical part of our mission and so read it with me. It probably says in your Bible like it says in mine before verse 12, the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's a significant verse. It gets, it gets lumped in with verses 13 and 14. I have no clue why, because it's a completely different move, and the golden rule is not in 13 and 14. And uh, it's, it's, it's not just tied to the previous passage, although we'll point out some of the ways that the, the previous passage leads into verse 12. Um, really, most uh, commentators argue that it is an emphatic summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus comes to this place in verse 12 where he's making this profound declaration about love and the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount is sort of these final uh, sort of declarations of what it means to be a disciple. 
But this verse is significant. The statement, this idea of the golden rule has been um, sort of the famous reference to this verse. And a form of this rule, I don't know if you know this, was communicated in many different religious contexts. But it was often communicated in the negative form. So the negative form would have been this. Do not do anything to anyone that you would not want him to do to you. Or one well-known Jewish rabbi said it this way, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. That is the whole law. All else is explanation. So this is the way it was phrased. But what Jesus did in this verse is he took what was sort of a negative form of this and he turned it positive, more positive than I think you've ever seen before. And it, and, and it, and it explodes the perspective of what Jesus is teaching here because he said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. See, more than avoiding negative actions, more than just responding to what negatively might come as being the perspective through which you see love, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, put it in the positive form that then calls you to search out the highest loving action on behalf of the other person. And this little move elevates loving others from the perspective of Jesus. It, 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 it turns it into a next level, highest form of love and becomes the defining characteristic of loving others. So let's break this down to make sure we understand this and are challenged by it first. Big idea. Loving others is an inescapable command for the followers of Christ. We gotta understand the the, the, the actions that define biblical love that we're going to see from this one verse, there's three observations that I want to make on Christ's picture of loving others from this verse because it is an inescapable command. And so we as the people of God should be like, I want more understanding. God, I'm coming before you in the midst of what you call us to do. The weight of this is clear in scripture. And I want to at every level be challenged to go deeper into what it means to love others. And our spirit should be, God, undo me in whatever way you would to bring this about. So three observations. First, this. Loving others starts and ends with God. Loving others is, it, it has to be, to be what God's called it to be. It has to be more than just a simple moral principle. Love is good. Love is love. Whatever you might have heard. It's a gospel principle that requires both, both supernatural revelation and the power of God to live it out. You, 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 can't, you can't take this idea of love and the second you place it within the context of the world and it becomes natural, it, it literally leaks out all of its power and potentiality. It starts with God. The first word of the verse is so, so. Knowing how to love others starts by knowing and experiencing God's love. It starts by standing firm in God's love like we talked about last time. And I didn't even intend this last two weeks to be like last week, loving God. This week, loving others. I love God's ways. They're so bigger than our ways. Verse 12 does build off of what we discussed last week. 
We pray like a zealous child of God when we stand firm in the much more of God's love because we want to know God's love and, and, and we want to know it richly and we see that in verse 11 being revealed to us. And that prepares and equips you to even receive and live out verse 12. Christ's sacrificial love for you is the illustration upon which the writers of scripture, Jesus himself, builds the idea of how we're supposed to love others. Think about it through a biblical lens. Jesus calls you to love one another just as he has loved you. Oh, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then he makes it even more clear in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, therefore be imitators of God. I'm glad it doesn't say perfect imitators of God. Thank God for his grace. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then most of you who understand or who have studied Ephesians knows that that was Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. And before he gets done with chapter 5, he's taking the reality of, of, of this picture of God's love and our call to love like Christ. And he uses it as the predominant illustration for love within the context of marriage. You start to see the connection there. It starts with God, though. It also ends with God. The reason for loving others is simple, and it's defined here because at the end of this verse, it's because it's what God's word tells us to do. It's saying, for this is the law and the prophets. It's It's how we come under God's authority in his word is a calling to love others. See, what this this work of loving others is, is it is actually, it is the law and prophets. Or or a better way or another way of understanding it would be that, that in loving others, we're actually fulfilling the law and prophets. Like, think about that. Like, the the reference law and prophets is a summary for, at that point, for the hearers of this, that was God's word. It was the Old Testament. The summary of the Old Testament is the law and the prophets. And that was all the followers of Christ knew at that time. And so, what he was saying here is, when you love others like Jesus is commanding, you're fulfilling God's heart in his word. Well, I want to please God, love others. I really want to honor and glorify God, love others. There's other New Testament references that highlight love for others as a fulfillment of God's word. I want you to see how much this is immersed in scripture. Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or Matthew 22.37-40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Loving others fulfills God's heart for his word. It was his intention, his final intention, the completion of all that he was wanting to weave together in his redemptive story. 
He entered our world out of his love. He gave us the example of love and he empowers us through his spirit to love others. Loving others starts and ends with God. It starts with his example and the conclusion of that or the fulfillment of that ends with his word being fulfilled for his glory. This definition of what it means to love others has to be, is required to be rooted in Christ's example or it is really worthless. And so because of that, every decision that you make and I make to love others in a way that reflects the love of Christ for the glory of God is a faith move. It's a faith move. And I promise you, as we begin to unpack this more fully, you're gonna understand the great faith that is required and the without question unreserved commitment to all that Christ is for us and offers to us is gonna be required because when we love like Christ calls us to love for the glory of God alone, it reflects Christ to the world. It is the essential evidence that a person is following Christ. And down with, I'm done with the, the, the preposterous nature of the church that so often postures my following of Jesus Christ by a checkmark list of doctrinal correctedness. Okay, like, like listen, and you gotta understand, please hear me. I care so much about right understanding of what the Bible emphasizes and teaches, but the evidence of, of fidelity and commitment to Christ is always evidenced by the person loving God and loving others well. I trust God when I choose to love in a selfless way. It is inseparably combined with this reality of faith. And it's not a question to ponder for the disciple. Like, I'm not sure should I love or not. Like it's, it's, not a, it's not an option. It's not an option. I'm called to walk by faith to love others. See, when your understanding of love comes from the example of Jesus, when you see that loving others starts and ends with God, you realize the true biblical definition of love. And the, the, the best summary definition I found of what it means to love is um, from an author, Paul Tripp. He wrote this. Love is willing, willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Whew. Good luck finding that in the world. Good luck finding that out of your flesh. Faith must take hold to live that out with any level of consistency, any level of maturity. You can gut it out for a moment, but it will simply be an action that is, not, is, 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 is independent of what, what's going on in your heart and your mind. That, when, it, when it's actually a part and a position of your mind and your heart and then naturally being lived out, that is a supernatural work that is deserving of our awe. 
Loving others starts and ends with God's second observation. Loving others is never restrained by reality. This one, um, this one took me to the mat. That reference means that I was standing up and then the spirit of God took me down and was like, yeah, you still got a lot to learn. That's what that reference means. See, see loving others is, is not determined by what has been done to you. It doesn't even give you the permission to, to love by any sort of limitation on any reality in your past, good or bad. The actions that you make in biblical love should be driven by what you wish others would do to you. It eliminates all condition around my love for others. It has no limits. It challenges you to process through what the other person would want. Now, be careful here because I've made a huge mistake in this and I think there can be a tendency for there to be a blind spot in the application of this. So let me just help you through my mistakes. You can't think about each situation where you might be called to love and try to discern what you would want people to do to you and then do that to the other person. It's still self-centered if you do that. Let me illustrate. I tried this in the past with my wife. I used to say, I still say to some extent, I wish people would just give me more constructive feedback without being super concerned with my feelings to the point where I now can't even understand what the feedback is because it's just sort of overly sweet. And I'm like, I'm not even sure. Are you, are you giving me constructive feedback? I'm not positive. And that's just the posture and the way I'm wired and designed. So I was like, you know what? That's how I want other people to love me with constructive feedback. So like, I'm just going to apply that wish to my wife. I'm going to give her constructive feedback in the same way. I'm sure she'll love it just like I love it. Wrong. I told her I was just doing to her what I wish others would do to me. That is not a right application of this principle. Please don't be as foolish as I was. I was forcing my preference on her and, and you can't justify that as love. Let's simplify it. What I really essentially, like most of us would, I think if we're honest, would say, what I wish others would do is treat me according to what I need, according to my interests that they would discern that carefully, that they would put that through a biblical lens that might limit some things and realities, but at the end of the day, what they would do is they would, they would bend themselves, learn about me, not a perspective of me, not a perception of me, but me, and love me there. And honestly, I think that when I've loved well, I've sat in with someone long enough and careful enough and ask the right questions to discern what they need and their interests. This is the picture of love and it, it allows you to apply love perfectly to every person. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 paints this picture when Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit 
but in humility. He says selfish ambition or conceit. That means you're consumed with yourself. There's an aspect of either protecting yourself or wanting your own ways. And, and he says, but in humility, lay that down. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's the only way you'll lean in. The only way you'll lean in to try to understand their needs and interests. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. So key, here it is again, begins and ends with God, in Christ Jesus. Selfish ambition, conceit, looking to your own interests, or the pride that lies underneath all of it, what that does is it constrains love. It literally takes this beautiful reality of love and it puts shackles on it. And and it starves it. But selfless ambition, counting others more significant than yourself, and looking to the interests of others releases love. It, it, It frees it. And, and it feeds love to actually make it stronger. It matures it over time. Every single moment by faith, when you move towards love, it strengthens not only, not only what, what's happening here between you and another person, but it gives you an affirming, a continual perspective that even grows it beyond that person. It's one of the reasons why I think that the struggles and the difficulty of marriage, if rightly lived in, produces unbelievable beauty in the way you not only love within the marriage, but then you love outside of the marriage from what you've learned in the marriage. I think it's one of the beautiful realities. And, and it starts to teach you to release love, and releasing love leads to the expansion of gospel ministry. This is some of the things that's just, in this last season, I, I've seen it more than ever. I, I don't know why. I've, I've always kind of seen this, but may, maybe there's just a way this is happening in our church right now that is, has caught my attention. But, but it, it, it's, it's, this, it's this reality that I know there's a, I look out at our church right now, and I've, I've just heard these things and been in some of the conversations of, you know, groups of seniors who are looking to gather together to collect regularly and, 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 and a group of women over here who are, who are wanting to meet together to encourage one another and people pursuing naturally gospel opportunities to, to share Christ in our community and different students and leaders meeting outside of Sunday evening student ministry to study God's word. Last week, I walked into my, my son Micah's room and he was talking on the phone with some other Mona Shores Middle School students about starting a Bible study. And there's many more examples in the context of our church of things like that happening. And the pursuits might be for just a season or they might be for longer. That's not important. What is important is that the love of Jesus through gospel ministry is being released not contained, not, not, we're, we're not looking and just waiting maybe for a, a, a staff person to do the thing that I would love to do, but we're looking into our hearts and we're going, man, I want God to work in this way and out of the love of Christ, I'm moving towards that and it's organic and it's authentic and it's beautiful gospel love for others. It's love for others released. In the coming weeks, I'm gonna talk about how in that this reality and how to see this play out is part of the vision of our church moving forward. Like here's, here's just a picture of, of, of what this looks like, of what's happening. 
the local church and, and the church staff and the sort of things that we host or the events that we have are intended by God, I believe, to be sort of a training ground and an equipping ground for the light of God's love to radiate out into the lost world and even more fully and deeply even into the context of our local body. Not, not constrained by some of the perspectives of church that for too long have made disciples that are just lazy. It's like, I'm just sitting here waiting for you to give me what I want and package it in the right way and make it super attractive so I can just show up. And then we wonder why there's a lack of love and for God and for others. What would happen if we started dreaming about ways to love people more radically? What if, what if everyone who claimed to be a Christian was compelled by the love of Christ? What if, what if marriages were, were marked by two people dreaming about new ways to love each other? What if, what if we slowed down long enough to ask a few more questions of what someone needs, not assuming that what yesterday's, yesterday's need is today's need? What if, what, if, what if your faith and my faith took hold of more regularly Christ's love and his forgiveness to bring the healing that my soul needs and that your soul needs? Healing from the places of brokenness that has restrained love so that love could then be released and radiate from your life. See, we've, 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 got, we've got to move past the world's definition of love to love supernaturally. Loving others in a way that reflects the love of Christ is never restrained by your reality and my reality. And this will prepare us to go one step further in love. It starts and ends with God. It's never restrained by reality. The final observation is this. Loving others extends to all people. We do not have the permission biblically to create categories of who we love and who we don't. Jesus came for the world. A quick um, grammar review. The word used in this verse is them. Do also to them. In case you need a refresher on the definition of them, it means any and all groups of people. Any group of people can be categorized as them. Your neighbors, do also to them. Your co-workers, do also to them. Your enemies, do also to them. Your family, do also to them. People who live completely opposed to the gospel, do also to them. Personality of a group of people that's completely opposite of yours, do also to them. Person from a or the people from a different race, do also to them. People who cheer for the rival team of yours, do also to them. It doesn't matter what group you give. Them is them is them. It's, it's all groups of people. 
There is no category of people that is not included within the word them. It is purposefully broad because there are no bounds to Christ's love. There's no bounds to it. Biblical love extends to all people. Yes, 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 true. There are places in scripture where God calls us to prioritize certain people and groups. 1 Timothy 5, he calls us very clearly to prioritize family. Uh, Galatians 6, uh, the, the church and the local body of Christ is prioritized. But biblical love should extend to all people. I mean, look back at the definition from Paul Tripp that we, that we looked at earlier. Love is willing sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. You qualify, and this is, this is a glorious truth, but is also a, a huge, intimidating challenge, is that you qualify for love from God's perspective by being created in the image of God. This is what gives so much significance to the baby in the womb all the way to the person that's at the end of their life and everybody in between, no matter what their posture towards God is, no matter what they've done or haven't done. It's all that is required is just to be created in the image of God. And so here, here's the thing, church, that I wanna, I wanna help us in and, and coach us in and counsel us in. When you begin to extend love to all people, you will find yourself in a difficult spot when confronted by a person, an individual, or a group calling on you to love them by giving approval to their actions or lifestyle that is clearly opposed to God's word. That's the, that's the sort of rubber meets the road. That's maybe the, about between the rock or rock and a hard place. Like the, the, that's, that's the reality of what's gonna play out. See, worldly love demands approval for everyone's choice regardless of what God says. And the good of another has no parameters and no guidelines to the world. It's defined by people's base desires and affirmed by a sort of individualistic, godless, relativistic culture with no belief in absolutes. And that perspective is, is completely and wholly opposed to God's version of good. And so all I would say is this. Into the chaos of this world, the church of Jesus Christ cannot be like, well, I just, I'm just gonna avoid those situations because that's not an option. What I believe God is calling on us to be and to do is to be incredibly creative, wise, and passionate in the way that we love. The highest good that you can show to anyone who does not walk with Christ is, is, is to show them Jesus. You, in your creativity and your courage and your wisdom and your passion, might be the only picture that they're going to see. And they might try to push you and, and reject you and put you in a corner. But just to image for them Jesus and to tell them about Jesus and strive to love them even if they reject Jesus and you, and you because of Jesus, you're still called to show them love. You don't get to a place where you're like, well, they're done. 
We just, we don't have that option. And please, 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 church, like look to show love, sacrifice self for them, not requiring or expecting anything in return because you might be waiting a long time. Even if their actions are filled with hate, look to their good. Ask God to give you wisdom and opportunities to love rightly. And you might make some mistakes. And listen, I'd much rather us make mistakes because we're risking in the the name of love than to either accommodate the reality of the world or just hide from the world. Ask God to give you wisdom and opportunities. The good that you do to another must always be within the constraints of God's will. Yes, but that still gives us so much room to run. It must be in line with God's word, yes, but we must lead with love. Loving others extends to all people. And into the, into the culture that we're in, Jesus is taking in this verse, he's taking this idea of loving others, uh, so common sometimes, so natural, and he is raising it to another level. It's a level that demands a personal, active, present, moment-by-moment knowledge and experience of supernatural love and uh, a dependence on a supernatural spirit to empower this degree of love. This is the challenge and the calling for the follower of Christ. And honestly, um, it's really, really intimidating. I don't know any other way around it than just to say that honestly. It's intimidating and honestly, it's impossible in my strength and in your strength. I've got, I've got, really, I've got really no hope for us really understanding as a church how to love others like Christ has called us to without a consistent confession of our lack of love and a, and a cry that would emerge from our understanding of how much our love lacks that a cry that would say god i i need your spirit to come and to to bring a revival of love in my heart and life in my actions towards other people like what would this look like in our marriages and our families and our church and in our engagement with the world like like we need a revival of love and and so like i, I don't know even 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 right now i i i just i just want us to just just begin Right now where you're at, just, just begin to pray. Because this is not going to happen because you, you felt like the, the message was helpful or, or encouraging. That, that's not going to be enough. And so I would just love maybe for us just, just to begin, just to 
right where you're at right now. Maybe you, maybe you want to, maybe you want to gather and turn to somebody next to you, and 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 let's just begin to pray in this moment. And with the time we have remaining, let's just let's begin to pray and 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 just ask God to give us a sense of of both our need to for God to show us the depth of the love that He is calling us to, and asking for the Spirit to fill us and equip us for. Let's begin to pray right now, church. Like, nothing is going to come without God meeting and answering our prayers. And, and so just begin to pray. And if you want to pray out loud or you want to pray quietly, I don't even care. I just, I just want us to start praying. And turn to somebody and you can, you, can, you can pray with them if you want to. Let's just fill this place with people praying. Let's do it now. God, lead us. God, lead us. sort over our lack of love. Father, give us a longing for your spirit. Empower us, Spirit of God. God, I am asking that 
you would move. God, too long in the church of Jesus Christ, the the definition of love has been desecrated by our culture and even by our own sinful flesh. And what we operate in too often is a natural version of what you want to infuse with supernatural power. And love as a result of that has remained constrained shackled by a poor understanding and a lack of dependence on you in my life and in the life of so many. And we're asking God that you would instead create in us a deep conviction of our lack of love, not one that leaves us in in a place of guilt and shame. No God, not that, not in light of your gospel, not in light of what you've accomplished but a conviction that would run deep and lead us quickly, quickly to our knees, to a place of confession, to a place of declaration, to a place of dependence, to a place of of where our perspective is actually shaped and changed by the beauty of scripture and the work of your spirit where our mind begins to think differently and our our heart is warmed by the realities of your love and there's a desire that it would be released. There'd be no limits to, to, to the way we think about love. There'd be no place that it would be restrained, but instead that it would be released fully into our lives, into our world, and we would release it through the power of your spirit, that each part of it would be empowered, each move of it would be a, a faith move walking in dependence based on what you have done and what you're continuing to do. I don't want God in any way to lead a church where we're restraining love. And so God, would you just do this work that I cannot do? Because we know that loving others is an inescapable command for the followers of Christ. And we declare this morning that it starts and ends with you. Let it never be restrained by our reality and experience and let it, God, extend to all people. So God, do this. Lead us. And let us even now in this closing song declare a vision and a heart and a desire to be sent into the world as people that are carrying and representing and living in the love of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.